Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome to the Exam Study Expert podcast. Concentration is one of the number one things I've been hearing students asking for help with, particularly at the moment. So to help today, I'm going to be talking to one of the world's leading authorities on how to manage your attention and focus on what really matters to you, Professor Stefan van der Stiegel. We'll be walking through an entire day of maximum concentration as part of today's conversation, helping to show you step by step what you can do to help maximise your focus, including things like attention rituals, learning from the greats like Darwin and Beethoven, how to take effective breaks, designing your environment for maximum concentration, and even asking whether it's okay to listen to music. Stefan leads the Attention Lab at Utrecht University in the Netherlands and is the author of several really excellent popular books, including How Attention Works and Concentration, How to Stay Focused in Times of Distraction. Stefan is a regular face on national television and radio in the Netherlands, as well as speaking on prestigious conference stages around the world. So it was a real treat to be able to have him on the show today amid his busy schedule. Let's meet Stefan and get right down to work. Stefan, a very warm welcome to the Exams to the Expert podcast. (laughs) Would you perhaps just start by introducing yourself uh, for everyone? So your name, your role and a little of the the work you do in your, your research. Sure. So I'm a professor of cognitive psychology at uh, Utrecht University in the Netherlands. I study visual attention, eye movements, visual awareness. I have a lab that I call the Attention Lab. And a couple of years ago, I decided that some of the things that we've been learning in the last couple of years, not only in my lab, but also in other labs, is actually quite helpful to a lot of people outside of academia and also for students. So that's why I decided to write a popular science book on attention, because I thought that was actually lacking. And it was published by MIT Press, well, tr- translated by MIT Press. And then a couple of years later, I published the second book on concentration and focus. And it happened because a lot of the questions that I got when I talk about attention are actually about concentration. And to me, those are two different things. I'll probably be able to talk about this in this podcast. What's the difference between the two? But it's nice to see the mix up and also to understand how many people struggle actually with a concept like concentration in our daily lives. My first question was going to be, what is attention? And I know that's a big question because you literally wrote an entire book by that name. (laughs) So attention is a general mechanism in the brain. and The brain cannot process all of the information that it receives at once. If you think about the senses, so the eyes, the ears, and the other senses we have, uh, we cannot process all of the information. Actually, we do not need to process all of the information. Apparently, evolution has equipped us with a system that only has to select part of that information for further processing. And that is called attention. So you can compare this to uh, a zoom light, a spotlight of attention that travels through space and selects the relevant information and allows you to ignore the irrelevant information. But it can also be to the internal world. So it can also be attention for a specific task. So you cannot perform all the tasks at the same time. You cannot think all the things at the same time. You, you You can only focus on one idea at the same time. And concentration 
is actually sustaining that attention for a longer period of time. So attention is in the moment, the selection that you are currently doing, and then concentration is keeping your attention on a specific stimulus for a longer period of time. And I suppose concentration is sort of slightly wrapped up with that being a fairly positive concept. You know, concentration generally suggests you're concentrating on something you want to concentrate on. Whereas attention, sometimes our attention gets grabbed by things we really don't want it to be grabbed by in the moment. And perhaps our attention also gets divided in ways we don't want it to, or perhaps isn't isn't necessarily our best interests for it to be divided. Yeah, because especially if you said attention is, it's it's really easy for your attention to be distracted. And uh, so attention is rapid, but it also responds to information in the environment that appears automatically. So new stimuli capture your attention. It's a notification on your phone. It's a notification of an email that you have in your inbox. It's a colleague that's a student or colleague that's starting to talk, that's standing next to you. That all captures your attention automatically. And that's why concentration is so difficult. And when you talk about divided attention, it actually means that you're trying to attend to multiple things at the same time, although that's really not possible. What you're actually doing is you're, you're rapidly shifting your attention from one thing to the other, and there are some time costs associated with that, and also you're more prone to make errors. So as you said, the ideal concentration, positively termed, is when you have your attention on a stimulus for a longer period of time without being distracted. And that's difficult because attention is so rapidly allocated to any stimulus in the world or to an internal thought. You might be in a completely empty room without any external distractions and still you're accompanied by, the I don't know, probably the worst distracting thing there is. That is your own mind, your own ideas. Those pop up all the time when you're reading a book or you're trying to study. So when people think about distractions, they only think about the external world. But I think the internal world for a lot of people is actually a larger factor in this whole thing of concentration. I think that's a great point. I think I'm right in saying one of the things that puts, I guess, limitations on our ability to do multiple things at once in one moment is related to the idea of our, our working memory and that being a you know a limited capacity processing engine, you might want to call it, for, for what we can handle and think about in any one moment. Is it perhaps worth just explaining a little bit about what we mean about working memory and how that relates to the limits of our attention and, and focus? Yeah, working memory is key if you want to understand what concentration is, because what it means to focus on a specific task is to have a task in your working memory. So the working memory is the part of the brain that is responsible for executing actions that do not go automatically. Some motor actions uh, are performed automatically if you're a good, uh, if you're on your bike and you're on your bike quite a lot. You can be on your bike and that does not tax working memory. Some of the actions are automatic, but the majority of the more complicated actions like talking, uh, listening, reading, uh, writing, they all tax working memory. So working memory is responsible for executing actions, but working memory can only perform one task at the same time, uh, which means that there's a limited system in terms of its execution. And it's very fragile. So if something captures your attention automatically, that interferes with working memory immediately. So it can only perform one task at the same time, and it's very easy to lose a task. So if somebody starts talking, you'll stop reading. Like that's a reflex. A lot of people, that happens more quickly than others. But when you start performing a different task, even though it's not the task that you want, 
it means that you will stop with the task that you were doing before. Yeah, you talked a couple of times about distractions, so notifications from your phone or email inbox or, or whatever. One of the things I, I liked in the, in the kind of intro to your book is just that reminder that mankind has been dealing with distraction for a very long time. You know, you wrote about Seneca writing about this deluge of information out there in the form of books and how that, you know, the poor Roman mind was getting too uh, frazzled by all these <laughs> different information inputs. But I think Clearly, that has become true to a far, far greater extent in the modern world with the advent of sort of smartphones and, and technology. And I think people have been finding it particularly hard during lockdown because we've been sort of shut up in our homes, you know, just surrounded by the kind of distractions of the, the home environment and no sanctuary to escape to, be that a library or, or an office building. What are your kind of reflections on the particular challenges I think we're facing at the moment in, in kind of times of, of lockdown and remote education? Yeah, so I would say that there are more distractions than ever simply because there's more information than ever. So it's so easy to have your attention, I don't know, another YouTube link or another video. And even though that might not capture your attention, so you could get all of the notifications out of the way, it's still so easy by one or two clicks to attend something else. And so one of the things that's necessary for your attention to flourish is the right type of motivation. So in order to really lock yourself on one specific task and perform it for a longer period of time without mind wandering, so internal distractions, or without you almost as a habit checking your email or checking social media on your, on your mobile phone. When people talk about distractions and they mostly think about sort of the notifications, right? But even if you get all the notifications out of the way, it's still very easy to get distracted simply because you might lose your concentration for a second, click, click, you're checking your phone. So for instance, I have my phone now lying next to me, almost as a habit, I could pick it up and check it. And I've now decided that I'm not going to do this because I want to focus on this podcast, of course. But when you're listening to a lecture or a teacher or you're reading a book, if you have your mobile phone close to you, it's so almost unconscious action to pick up the phone. So we know the majority of the habits are unconscious. When you're hungry and you have a jar of cookies next to you, you're eating without knowing, without thinking. There's no conscious decision. So a lot of the decisions we take to concentrate on something else that we might not want to concentrate on is really easy in the home environment. So I have a lot of meetings and I notice how easy it is to lose track what one person is saying simply because I'm in my home, right? I'm surrounded by my personal stuff. When I'm in a physical environment with these people, it's very difficult not to attend to a person that's sitting next to you and talking to you. While you're, if you're watching the video screen, you're watching your webcam, you're listening to a podcast surrounded by all your favorite stuff in the world, it's very difficult to engage your attention for a longer period of time especially with all these video conferences. It's like a very poor version of virtual reality, right? You're in a, you're somewhere, but you're not really there. Physically, you're in the same room the vast majority of the day. That, that, that makes it difficult. And it actually is an effortful type of concentration compared to when you're in a room with a person that you're physically talking to. That makes it a lot more easy. And now we have to transport ourselves in a situation that's not really happening. That, that, that makes it really complicated. Final, slightly more theoretical question before we get into some of the practical strategies that we can use to, to tackle this. Just to kind of really emphasize the point, I, I was just curious to go into a bit more detail on the evidence for what difference all of this makes to students. So why is it so important for students to be able to concentrate? What do we know about the impact of 
concentration and divided attention on learning outcomes. Yeah, so we know that students that are distracted during learning perform worse compared to students that are able to learn without distractions. And that sounds quite like an open door, like, yeah, of course, you know, we, we know that. But it's interesting to sort of understand what's really happening here. Because if you, if you look at working memory, every time you switch to a different task, and it could be an internal task, so thinking about what you're going to have to for, for dinner, or it could be listening to a person that's, that's talking next to you, you need to clear your working memory for one specific task and move to the other. So that every time you switch tasks, there are time costs involved, and we call them switch costs. Also, you're more prone to make errors. So working memory can only perform one task at the same time. So I compare working memory to a workbench. The working bench has a material on it necessary to perform this task. And every time you start performing a different task, you have to clear the workbench and get new material on the workbench. And it's very likely that there's still some apparatus left of the previous task. And therefore, if you engage into a new task, it's likely that you will perform an error simply because you've got the wrong material on the workbench. So the ideal type of concentration, if you have the same material on the workbench in your working memory to perform all these actions for a longer period of time. Every time you switch between tasks, it takes time and you're prone to make errors. And also importantly, the stress system is activated. Every time you switch task, you develop higher levels of stress. Simply, you want to concentrate, but every time you're distracted, and that gets frustrating, and that results in high levels of stress. And we all we also know that high levels of stress are poor in terms of learning if the, if the stress levels are too high. So the best, of course, the best way of learning is a relaxed atmosphere without any distractions. That's easier said than done these days, but it is important to realize it's actually beneficial to create such a situation. And if you want to interact with social media, it's a lot better to do it later in the day, give yourself a sort of reward than to try to do two things at the same time, because that's that's sort of a wrong decision. <laughs> it's not going to be good for either of the tasks, right? If you try to do them at the same time, it might, it might look fun and it might feel productive, but it's actually not productive in any way. Fantastic points there. And actually, what some of the evidence that uh, you put in the book, concentration, was, was new to me. Like there was that study that shows that when you're studying with distractions, hippocampal activity is, is decreased. Hippocampus being the bit of the brain that's very involved in encoding and retrieving information from long-term memory. You know, really interesting that we've kind of got that level of, of neurological evidence, I suppose, to underpin those principles. In a sense, it makes a lot of sense because working memory is the part of the brain that governs all the actions in the rest of the brain. So it's in the frontal cortex, which means that it's sort of the orchestrate that, that tells the brain what to do. And if working memory is not strongly engaged in a specific task, it doesn't tell to the hippocampus, please store this knowledge. So the brain becomes more of a chaos because it's not focused on one specific task and the working memory cannot inform all these learning mechanisms in the brain, partly indeed the hippocampus, to do the task that it's actually supposed to be doing. I thought it might be nice to talk through a day in the life of someone who's focused. So so perhaps imagining a clear day with no other professional engagements apart from just some time aside to do a bit of writing, perhaps your next book or perhaps an upcoming journal article or something, the sort of day that lots of students might be able to relate to in terms of spending the day working on a big dissertation or thesis or maybe just revising for upcoming exams. Perhaps let's walk through what that day might look like and some of the kind of practical things you could do at various points to, to be able to maximise concentration. Perhaps we can start 
the evening of the night before to, to set ourselves up for success the next day. That's a good point to start the day before because that's 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 need a crucial point there. So one thing to do is to try to not interact with things that make your mind very active shortly before you go to sleep. So a lot of people sleep with their mobile phones next to their bed. That's something I don't really understand. It's not the blue light emitted by the screens, which a lot of people think, but it's actually the mental activity. And these apps on your phone are designed to keep your arousal level as high as possible. And that's that's not what you want. So you want to do something that actually relaxes you. So people say, can I watch television? Sure, but it depends if that television makes you very aroused or whether it makes you relaxed. So we know that uh, that the amount of reruns of the comedy series Friends is a lot higher shortly before people go to sleep. And I understand that, right? It's 30 minutes, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's very predictable. So that's actually a nice thing to do shortly before you go to sleep. Also, uh, turn down the lights already. So that's, that, that's the blue light emitted by those lights because that's a lot more than from your mobile phone. It's actually the light that's simply hanging in your room. Try to clear that as much as possible and turn it down. Uh, if you've got certain things that you worry about, put it on paper so that they're not going to bother you during sleep. And I think that's that's already a good recipe for a good night of sleep. Okay, fantastic. So we wake up the following morning, nice and refreshed, hopefully after a, after a decent night's rest. Is there anything in the morning before getting to work for the day that might, again, help to sort of set us up for success? I know, for example, some people like to get their workout for the day and in the morning or perhaps perhaps a session of meditation. So one of the things that's important is that you cannot expect to go from your morning ritual to working or learning or studying immediately. So you have to deal with the switch costs to do something that goes automatically. So one thing to do it is just to go outside and take a walk. Or meditation is nice, but do realize that meditation is a task and it's not something that goes automatically. So it's nice and relaxing, but after meditation, take a break because it's actually taxing working memory because it's focusing on one particular task for a longer period of time. So it's not the same as a break, but it is nice. It's a nice morning ritual. But even when you've done that, you still need to do something that clears your working memory to deal with the switch costs that you have to make. So a lot of people are working from home right now. And what a lot of people used to do is to have travel time. So they go on their bike and they move from their home uh, to the university or to college or to their work. And that time on the bike or on the train was actually needed to make the transition. So one thing you can do at home to make the transition is to go outside and take a walk and just make the transition automatically. So that's one way of clearing your mind. And then you've got multiple different strategies that really depended on what the type of person you are. So there are some individual differences here. Some people want to eat that frog in the morning. So they want to do the most complicated part early in the day. Refer you back to, to the first episode of 2021 for, for more on eat the frog. <laughs> yeah, eat the frog is nice, but do realize that not everyone will be ideally an eater of that frog because I'm an evening person. So I prefer to do the small tasks in the beginning of the day to get everything out of the way, to clear my to-do list, and then go for the difficult one. So what I like to do to start off the day is make a to-do list and to make a, and to make a plan for the day. And ideally, you have the same day every day, the same schedule, because it's nice because then you no longer need to focus on what you need to do. And you create almost a ritual, sort of a habit of performing your day at the same day. And we know from people that are very famous, like Darwin, and Beethoven, they had the same schedule each individual day, daily rituals they had. It's a book that very nicely describes uh, how they uh, go through their day. And it's, and it's great to see their fast rhythm that they have every single day. 
Beethoven starts by counting out his 60 coffee beans. I, I loved that. <laughs> and why did he count 60 beans? That was clearing his working memory. He was then preparing himself for a long period of concentration. So I'm always surrounded by music, by vinyls and CDs. So when I go to work, I first interact a little bit with, with my music. I, I sort stuff. I, I always work with music in the background. So this is my attention ritual, something that clears my working memory before I start a longer period of concentration. Uh, but it's important before you do that is to make a schedule of the day and discuss with yourself and make a plan about when are you going to take a break? What's the plan here? Because there needs to be a period during the day in which you're doing nothing, uh, because that's actually really important for your concentration. So make a plan. When are the moments that are you that you really have a longer period of focus? Is it between two and five? Is it going to be in the evening? So make a plan and see if there's enough breaks in between. And if you are a person that really likes to concentrate in the morning, you do it that way. Uh, but if you're an evening person, you can spend the day clearing all those small tasks and focusing on the evening in which it actually is going to happen. But you cannot expect yourself to concentrate for eight hours a day. That's nonsense. Like there is a maximum of how many hours you can concentrate during a day. That differs between individuals, but don't expect the impossible. I know there are individual differences, so it's hard to give a concrete number. But if you were to give me a number that would be like, yeah, you really almost certainly don't want to be working as many hours as that. Let me say that if there's people that work to nine to five without taking a break, that's not a good idea. So it might sound like they're working the whole time, but I think that's that's not possible. Like you need to take small breaks, longer breaks, even one hour, even within a, within an hour of concentration. It needs to have a couple of minutes in which you walk to the toilet, get some coffee, get some water. Those are mini breaks, but those are quite important to refresh your mind. So it's not about the number of hours, but it's definitely about sort of the, how many times during the day you actually take a break to refresh. Because you can have a long day of concentration, have a good evening dinner, and when you've planned your day correctly, you could still get an hour or two of concentration in the evening, as long as you've not been multitasking during the day. So it's very much dependent on how you spend your day, how easy it is for your mind to refresh and start uh, concentrating. You talked in the past about the importance of taking breaks. Um, any particular advice for things to do or perhaps not to do while we're taking those those breaks, particularly maybe the shorter ones between bouts of work rather than longer breaks? Yeah, so, so it's really important to do something that does not tax working memory. So uh, look at your phone and check your social media is not taking a break. It's taking a break from work, but it's not refreshing your mind. It's not that it's that it's loading the battery of your concentration because you're still doing something that taxes working memory. And ideally, you should be something, doing something that does not tax working memory in any way. So we know from scientific literature that taking a walk in nature or in a park without things that you have to pay attention to actually allows you to concentrate a lot better compared to a, to a busy environment like a busy city center or, or looking at your phone or checking YouTube or whatever. So the ideal break is a period of mind wandering, uh, having doing something else that goes automatically. And when the brain does nothing, your mind starts to wander. And that's a problem during concentration, but it's actually useful when you're taking a break because it allows your concentration to, yeah, to reflow again. So we've got our schedule planned out, a sensible <laughs> apportionment of breaks, ideally doing sensible things with those breaks. What's happening when we're actually sat down at the desk? So is there anything in particular in the environment or perhaps that we've removed from the environment to, to minimize distraction? Yeah. So we've talked about notifications, of course. 
so things that can capture your attention automatically, it's important to remove those. Have something next to you that can function as a to-do list or something that if something pops up in your mind, write it down immediately. If it's so it's an eternal distraction, do something with it. That's an important way. The right level of motivation. So imagine yourself, why are you doing this? What's sort of the point on the horizon that, that you're moving towards? Is there uh, some reward that you can give intrinsically or is it some other type of reward that you can? So if I do this for eight hours, what's, what's it going to give me? So that's a nice thing to think about to motivate yourself to do. If you want to listen to music, put on some nice music, create a mixtape or some Spotify list that you associate with concentration without any vocals in it, without any rapid changes in tempo. Uh, so put some nice neoclassical music on or some uh, DJ sets that have a little transition. Some people might not be able to do this, but for me, it's crucial actually, because else I just simply, simply fall asleep. And if you have trouble motivating yourself, why not talk to colleague students and say, hey, can we do this together? If we study for four hours, can we meet in the park later if, if that's allowed that day? We're in the middle of Corona crisis, by the way. But you can also open your webcam and talk to other people, get some motivation going because a lot of people are doing it on their own. A lot of people like to study together. And even if they don't need to talk, simply being in the same room or knowing that the other person is studying as well, can be very motivating. So what motivates you? Can you eliminate distractions internally and externally? And what's going to keep you awake? So for one thing that I find difficult is to sit still, for instance. So I'm always moving. So uh, when I'm listening to someone, most of the times I'm moving. If it's a lecture that you can follow while you're walking in a park, go ahead. I do a lot of my meetings while I'm walking because I have difficulty sitting still. Some people might relate to this uh, very well, I guess. Uh, but you don't need to sit still. We know from kids with ADHD that they actually learn a lot better when they're moving. And I think that holds for some adults as well. Fantastic thoughts. So, you know, movement, keeping that distractions list to get those internal distractors out of your head and clear your mind, writing them down. That's working together, either physically or perhaps just by opening up a webcam. Thank you for mentioning listening to music. That was going to be one of my questions because when I go into schools and talk to students, eight times out of 10, that's the first question in the Q&A at the end. <laughs> Can I listen to music while I'm studying? And I don't know if this is just a UK educators thing, but I often hear people in the UK saying, oh, no, you shouldn't listen to music while studying. And my intuition was always different to that. So I went and wrote a blog article on it and kind of had a look at some of the studies that have been done on it. And I think that advice that's common in schools that you can't listen to music comes out of a a study that came out of Cardiff about 10 or so years ago where they showed a massive drop in performance for students that listened to music while they were studying. When I dug into the details of that methodology, the actual tracks that they were using for the experimental group were like the most intensely distracting music possible. Like I listen to music a ton while I'm working. There is no way I'd get anything done while I'm listening to that. <laughs> so I think there's individual differences, as you say. Some people can listen to it, some people can't. And I also think there's there's differences between even within individuals. So for me, there's a lot of tasks where I do like to listen to music. There's some where I just need to shut the music off and have complete silence, perhaps that those most ultimately cognitively demanding tasks. It sounds like that's sort of supported by your reading of the, the evidence as well. Yeah, I think one, one important thing to realize is, is distraction is it's like sort of these reflexes your attention is captured by things that are different from the environment, large pulses. So when you have background noise, 
Like if a needle falls on the ground, it's not going to capture your attention. If it's completely silent, if everyone that, that just starts talking will automatically result in a capture of attention. So you can use music as sort of wall of sound that makes it more difficult for other information to be a distraction. Fantastic thoughts, Stefan. Thank you so much for, for all of that. An absolutely jam-packed tour of uh, you know, practical advice for maximizing concentration through the day. One thing in particular I just wanted to touch on was if you've got any particular thoughts for when you're playing the role of information receiver, particularly I'm thinking of the student sitting, listening to a class. I think that's particularly at the moment, if you're listening to a class on a laptop, from your own room at home or in your dorm room, that's pretty hard to maintain your focus. Yeah. So first of all, yes, it is extremely difficult. So don't worry if you experience difficulties with this. So one of the things I really can advise you to do is, is to take notes on paper, write it down, interact with the information that you're hearing. First of all, it will keep your motor activity high. It will give you something to do with the information that, that you're receiving. And you need to start thinking about how am I going to represent this knowledge? If you write on a laptop, it's more unidimensional. If you interact with paper, you can draw arrows, circles, you can connect the knowledge. Even if you throw away the paper afterwards, it's going to give you something to do and to engage with the information that you are receiving. So I tend to do it. I really want to focus. I shut down all notifications. I, I close my email program. I put away my phone. I grab some paper and I start drawing what I'm hearing. And I think that's the best possible way forcing you to do something with the knowledge that you're receiving. I think that's fantastic. Just as we're in closing, anything we've missed that you think is really important to, to mention? Yeah, so one thing I would like to mention is sometimes it simply doesn't work because I can give you all the advice of the world, but even me as something, some a person that thinks about this stuff, I have days in which it simply is not working. I cannot focus and that's fine. Like we're not machines. So I don't want to be this person that gives all these self-tip books to get the best out of your life. It's important to understand the mechanisms and hope the mechanisms will help you. But don't be too hard on yourself if it's not working because everyone experiences those days. It's, it's difficult. It's weird. So give yourself a break. And if it's not working, go outside, have a great day, do something that you really like and try again the next day. I love that. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Stefan, thank you ever so much once again. I'm sure people want to, you know, dig a bit deeper into some of the things we've been talking about. Tell us a little of where we could go for more to find out more about you and your work and the books that are available that, that go into more detail on this stuff. Yeah, so I have a very complicated name, but so I have a website that's that's named my name. So uh, <laughs> stefanvandestichel.nl. Don't worry about it if you can't write it. I think the best resources is uh, for concentration. We'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Concentration is, a, I think, a great book if you want to understand more about the mechanisms underlying concentration. How attention works is the book if you're interested in what captures attention and what is attention exactly what do we perceive from the world around us and i think those might be two books they're accessibly written but they do have the reference list to back up all the claims that i'm making so even if you want to get a deeper dive i think the book can be used as a resource Absolutely. Uh, as I say, we'll, we'll put the link to your personal website and to those books in, in the show notes. I've read Concentration and thoroughly enjoyed it. You, you write very, very accessibly and it's, it's a great read as well as being absolutely packed with, with fascinating and very practical th thoughts. Stefan, thank you so much once again. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me and for the interesting conversation. If people have any questions, please send me an email and I'm happy to answer your questions. Thanks again, Stefan. And if you're interested in finding out more about concentration, I would highly recommend Stefan's book, which is called 
concentration. And I've linked that up for you in the show notes. It's kind of my favourite type of book, really. A highly valuable subject, which a lot of us are really interested in, written by a scientist who's not only a world expert in the field, but has an incredibly clear and entertaining communication style, uh, whether, as you've heard today, as a speaker or when he's writing. I'd also recommend checking out previous episodes in this little mini episode we've been doing over the past couple of weeks on focus and concentration, including the guide I broadcast for you last week all about using the Pomodoro technique really well, as well as college professor James Lang a couple of weeks ago on managing distractions. And with that, that's a wrap on today's conversation. Please do consider taking a moment now to share this episode with someone you think might find it helpful. I'm sure they'd be very grateful for you passing it on. I will look forward to seeing you next week when I'll be sharing some of my all-time top test-taking tips to help maximise your mark on the big day of the test itself. For now, thanks again for your company today. It's been great to have you with us and wishing you every success in your studies. Just before you go, did you know you can hire William as your very own coach and mentor to show you the stress-free way to ace your exams by studying smarter, not harder? Find out how at examstudyexpert.com slash coaching.